we're right in the middle of um, the tests of a prophet. That's where we left off. And I think let's just go through quickly the three more tests that we will look at. And then we shall look at inspiration and how inspiration works. So this is a very sensitive and, and important topic. So I, I really wish that we could have a word of prayer and, and ask for the Lord's guidance in this. So let's bow our heads. Our Heavenly Father, thank you for giving us this moment of time that we can uh, study your word together. Help us to understand inspiration. Help us to understand how you spoke through the prophets of old so that we may have a, a clear picture of it. You see that there's so much misunderstanding about this topic. So I pray, Father, that you will direct our minds and help us not to fall into error. This is my prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Welcome. I see that I have been um, lacking faith here. Maybe I printed too few of these. That's good. So, we've been looking at Ellen White. We've been looking at the gift of prophecy. We've seen that, um, we, that the Bible calls us to test the prophets. And the third test that we'll look at today is, um, by the fruits you shall know them. Jesus said, in Matthew 7, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Even so, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Therefore, by their, by their fruits, you will know them. So the fruits, of course, we, we, we find in the Bible, refer to the fruits of the Spirit in Galatians, which is um, uh, their behavior, their attitude, uh, but also the, the fruit of their work. Like, what, is, what, uh, what does their work lead to? And... So the question we could ask is, how did Ellen White live, and what was the fruit of her ministry? And it, I've quoted for, some, for you some of her sharpest critics. D.M. Canwright was a minister, a Seventh-day Adventist minister, who left the church during Ellen White's time. But he was very closely acquainted with her, and it was on the basis of the inspiration of uh, Ellen White that he, he left the church and started to attack it. But he writes in, uh, it's a quote from Review and Herald, I know Sister White to be an unassuming, modest, kind-hearted, noble woman. These traits in her character are not simply put on and cultivated, but they spring gracefully and easily from her natural disposition. She is not self-concited, self-righteous and self-important, as fanatics always are. She is ever looking after the needy, destitute, and the suffering, providing for them and pleading their cause. She studies God's word, and yes. Oh, excuse me. Yes, we are, we are on still on the on the first um, on the first one. Were you here yesterday? You can have these ones. Yes, I apologize. You need one as well. Yeah. It's towards the end of it. I, the the headings started again, and it's number three. And I'm reading from. Yes, there are two of them. There's one one for yesterday that we're still going through, and then there's another one for today. Which which one you don't have? Okay. Yeah. So I, I should have put page numbers on this. I'm sorry. But if you go towards the end, it's it's number three in big headings. By the fruits you shall know them. Anyway, this is one of her sharpest critics that writes this about Ellen White. And that tells us something, in my opinion. 
He says, she studies God's word carefully and constantly. I've heard Sister White speak hundreds of times, have read all her testimonies through and through, most of them many times, and I have never been able to find one immoral sentence in the whole of them, or anything that is not strictly pure and Christian, nothing that leads away from the Bible or, and from Christ. But there I find the most earnest appeals to obey God, to love Jesus, to believe the scriptures, and to search them constantly. This is a powerful testimony from someone who did not believe in Ellen White. And it tells us something about the fruit of this prophet. Walter Martin, we don't have time to quote him, but he says basically the same thing, that she is a Christian uh, in every sense of the term. Uh, and, I mean, how many of you have ever read Steps to Christ? Can I see your hand? If you've read Steps to Christ, have you, been, have you felt that you've been drawn away from Christ or, or, or towards Christ when you read it? I mean, if you read that book, it's a, it, that's the book that converted me, basically. I, I read that book and I understood what it meant to be converted. You know, before my parents told me that all, oh, or other people told me, you need to be converted, Jonathan. That, that's what, what you're lacking. And I was asking, oh, how, how am I converted? And people were trying to describe it to me. They were telling me that, well, it's like, um, uh, it's hard to describe. It's kind of like falling in love, you know, you can't really describe it. I, I didn't understand it. It was a mystery to me. I thought I would get some kind of lightning from the sky that would just zap me and then I would be all hallelujah. But that was not conversion until I read Step, uh, Steps to Christ and I realized it is, it is surrender. Through prayer, I go down on my knees, I give my heart to Jesus and that is what when when God's Spirit comes into me and starts uh, changing my life, uh, and imagine if you're the, if you're the devil, and I, I trust that you're not, but if you were the devil, uh, and uh, and let's say that you were going to call a false prophet that was going going to to lead people away from Christ, okay, and you get Ellen White, wouldn't you fire her? I mean, this, the fruits of this, of, uh, this false prophet keeps leading people to Jesus all the time. That's not a good fruit if you're a false prophet. Yes. Uh, but it might not be that simple because uh, actually there are many false prophets today that uh, seems to lead people to Jesus. But it's whether the gospel is the true gospel or not. Yeah. I could very well be. You know, so, yeah. Uh, it is true. And that's why this is not only the only test. We need to have we need to have all of the tests, but it is true. Uh, many and the false gospel doesn't Yeah. Uh, and but if you if you think of some uh, prophets, I don't know if they're prophets really, but uh, you have these. Uh, if, if you see if you see behind the scenes, there's there was for example this uh, uh, prophet that claimed to be Christ in Florida, and. Uh, he was leading millions of people to Christ, or the Antichrist, who he said was the same person. And, um, and then he was, um, he was a, a drug addict, and, and he was saying there was no sin in the world, because Jesus came to take away sin, you know. And he had all these kinds of, of weird things. And you, you can, you can say, he can come and say, oh, I'm leading people to Jesus. But the fruits tell that this is not the case. He, he's leading people to a totally foreign uh, gospel if you start looking a little bit into what, what the Bible says. Yeah, so it, it, can't only, it can't be the only test. You know, many say that, that that's what the Mormons told me and that I told you about yesterday. At all, when you read these books, you feel so good. And that's the fruit of the Spirit. So that's why it's from God. So we can't isolate this one. But at least it can't, the fruits should not contradict the message. They should practice what they preach. They shouldn't be uh, hypocrites in, in that sense of, of the word, because God wouldn't keep giving them messages if they were hypocritical all the time. So I think, I think that's the point. And a, a true prophet needs to fulfill this test if it is actually a prophet from God. So we, you can read all, all these uh, quotes. It's from... Non, from people not of this church, and even uh, people who are opposed to Ellen White. Uh, this is one instance. Vincent Ramick was a, a Catholic lawyer in, um, 
and, and he spent 300 hours investigating and comparing Ellen White's writings. He was going to look at, uh, investigate the charges of plagiarism, which we'll look at um, today, later. And he concluded that too many of her critics, I'm on number three and, and D, too many of her critics, of the critics, have missed the boat altogether. And it's too bad, too. I personally have been moved, deeply moved, by those writings. I have been changed by them. I think I'm a better man today because of them. And I wish that the critics could discover that. Uh, he was a Catholic. He read the Great Controversy. He read that the Catholic Church is the beast, okay, and all these things. And he said, that book moved me. That book changed me. And, and, and all the, her, her writings. Uh, not because of, of those things, but this just shows that the fruit of this woman uh, are good in, in many sense of the word. It's interesting also, there was a study done at Anderson University on 8,200 8, Adventists. And I'm reading from uh, this next paragraph here. The study indicated, indicates that readers have a... Uh, oh yeah, what they did was they compared those Adventists who read Ellen White regularly compared to those who did not. And this was the result. The study indicated that readers have a closer relationship with Christ, more certainty of their standing with God, and are more likely to have identified their spiritual gifts. They are more in favor of spending, of spending for public evangelism and contribute more heavily to local missionary projects. They feel more prepared for witnessing and actually engage in more witnessing and outreach programs. They are more likely to study the, the Bible daily, to pray for specific people, to meet in fellowship groups and have daily family worship. They view their church more positively. They actually bring more people into the church. This is a study that, that they did. Uh, just can tell us something about the fruit of, uh, of this woman's work. Uh, I believe with all my heart that she passes on this test. And I think we can... Are you comfortable saying that? Would, would you be comfortable? Of course, maybe you have not read so much of her writings. But the only way that we can actually see the fruit is if we read her books herself and we see uh, what, what are the, the fruits of reading it. The fourth test is about the obedience to the Ten Commandments. And if someone could read Deuteronomy 13, verses 1 through 3. There arises among you a prophet or a dreamer of dreams, and he gives you a sign or a wonder. And the sign of the wonder comes to pass, of which he spoke to you, saying, Let us go after other gods, which you have not known, and let us serve them. You shall not listen to the words of that prophet, or that dreamer, or a dream. For the Lord your God is testing you to know whether you love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. Hmm. So basically, here's a prophet rising, doing miraculous things, but telling you, here, here's the thing about the gospel, okay? Telling you, go serve other gods. Break one of the commandments. If a prophet encourages uh, people to serve other gods, to break God's commandments, uh, this, is not a, this is not a true prophet. So, of course, uh, Ellen White talks about the commandments, and as my brother pointed out yesterday, we can't have a, uh, an overemphasis on the commandments. We need a balanced view of, of the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus, because no one can keep the commandments of God if they don't have the faith of Jesus. Yes? As much as I know, the Sabbath uh, uh, came not by Ellen White. Uh, it came from Seventh-day Baptist woman as soon as she came to the church. Yes, that's true. And only later Ellen White was confirmed. So the question is now hmm. how the prophet would not see right away the Ten Commandments hmm. in, in complete set. Hmm. Yeah, that's a good question. And she, uh, I think this is one of, uh, one of the strong proofs for her inspiration. That it wasn't just something she came up with, but it was actually, she, she was in the beginning um, even uh, a bit questioning when Joseph Bates had heard it. 
she was like, oh, is this, is this really so important? And uh, then she was, she was confirmed uh, from vision, something that she did not really think. So I think that's a proof, actually, that it is not just her own opinions that she puts forth. So we don't have time to read that, but Ellen White, of course, talks, it says that the, all of the Ten Commandments are valid. And this is a very important thing. She never wrote that the Sabbath is not true. Okay? She never went out and taught that, no, the Sabbath is, is wrong. We should not keep it. God showed me that the Sabbath, we, we're allowed to break it. Okay? Then it would, she would be a false prophet. But there's a difference between that and between uh, learning more things. The prophet is not God, you know. The prophet is not, uh, doesn't know everything at the outset. Yeah, um, uh, well, yeah, in, in that sense. And it is, there's a difference between if, I, I don't think that new light contradicts old light. It cannot do that. Because it's the same spirit and, and God never contradicts himself. So new light never contradicts old light. But uh, it's, it is, of course, so that a prophet can learn things. It must be so. I mean, they're humans. So I think we'll get, in, get more into that when we get into inspiration. What about predictions coming true? Let's read that. Jeremiah 28, verse 9. Jeremiah 28, and verse 9. The prophet that speaks about peace, when, he's, when the prophet's work is accomplished, he will be known as the prophet that God sent. Hmm. Okay. So, when a prophet speaks, then it, it's when it comes to pass that we can know that it is a true prophet. So, have, have Ellen, has Ellen White made predictions that have come to pass? I would just like to read a few of these things. We, we don't have time to go into this exhaustively, but just to whet your appetite. America's Civil War. On December 20, 1860, South Carolina, I don't know if you know American history, how many of you have studied American history to some extent? Okay, there was uh, this slavery conflict in the 1860s and and it was the north against the south eventually but on um, in 1860 South Carolina demanded, demanded secession from the American Union and rumors of rebellion and war began to arise because they said we want to keep our slaves and so we don't want to be part of this American Union anymore well uh, there was a lot of other issues there but um, very few people took this, very, took this seriously. Here's some, um, I have some contemporaries that speaks on this matter. Horace Greeley from the New York Tribune in, 18, in January 1861. He says, a few old women with broomsticks could go down there and beat out all the rebellion that there is in South Carolina. Okay, so he didn't think it was a threat. And this was the general opinion during this time. Abraham Lincoln uh, the president said the following in March 1861. Notice the date. I have felt all the while justified in concluding that the crisis, the panic, the anxiety of the country at this time is artificial. Basically, there's no need to panic, no worries. And even after the war broke out, Lincoln thought that it's enough with 70,000 soldiers for three months. Uh, it, that's sufficient to quench the rebellion in in the South. Well, that was the general opinion, but Ellen White received a vision from God in January, on January 12, 1861. Okay? And it went in sharp contrast to the public opinion. It says this, People are making sport of the secession ordinance, ordinance of South Carolina. But I have just been shown that a large number of states are going to join that state. And there will be a most terrible war. In this vision, I have seen large armies on both sides gather, gathered on the field of battle. I heard the booming of cannon. I saw the dead and dying on every hand. 
And then she said, there are those in this house who will lose sons in that war. Now, people were mocking her when she was saying this because of the general opinion in, during this time. But this prediction came true 100%. Soon 11 states had joined the secession and have elected their own, their own president. And the, American, the American Civil War continued for four years and cost over 600,000 lives. It was the bloodiest war ever fought on American soil. And at least 10 of the people present when Ellen White had her vision lost sons in that war. It fulfilled that prediction. Another thing that we don't have time for is, is the health aspect, which you can study on your own. Ellen White received in a time when people thought that tobacco was healthy for you, you know, clearing out your lungs or something. Uh, she said that it's a, it's a slow, insidious, most malignant poison. Okay, and um, she also said that cancer, tumor, and all inflammatory diseases are largely caused by meat eating. Wow, that was very strong language in, in those days. No one believed in that, but she was shown this. And she says, from the light which God has given me, the, uh, the prevalence of cancers and tumors is due to gross living on dead flesh. Now, I'm not here to, to speak on health, but basically, today, science has confirmed this to 100%. I mean, we have study after study after study coming out, the China study and, and all these kinds of things that come out that prove that this is actually the fact. This is the reason. So there are other reasons, but largely it is because of what we eat. So, so how did she know? Was it just a lucky guess? Like, was she like, hmm, what shall I say? Yeah, let me say this. And then it all came to pass? I don't think so. She must have received her information from somewhere. And um, Ellen White's visions on health are the secret behind the fact that Seventh-day Adventists are... Uh, Seventh-day Adventists is the people group that on average live the longest on the planet, according to National Geographic and uh, another study done in Denmark, actually, that showed the same thing. Yeah, we... We don't have time to go through all this. She actually predicted world wars. You know that? Testimony for the Church, Volume 1, page 268. She, she spoke of uh, millions of lives being sacrificed. She had been seen a, a pause. Uh, after, after the inhabitants of the world had been in a conflict, the most terrible conflict, then she saw a break, and then she saw another conflict again. It's very fascinating if you study into this, but we don't have time. Um, she talked about the ecumenical movement in a time when uh, Protestants and Catholics, they were antagonists. She said they will come together. And we've seen that happen so much in our century, in the la or in the last century. So I won't take any more time here. Uh, you can read there are some objections that people have against this last sign. And you can read heading number six there if, if that's if you're interested in that. Uh, yes. I just wanted to add that um, a mighty proof of her as a uh, true prophet is also that her prediction of what will happen within the church mm. in the last days. That is very true. We can see if you read what she's saying, mm -hmm. uh, this is true today. Mm -hmm. and that's also uh, special. That is, that is. And actually, we, um, I'll, look, I'll look into a little bit of that tomorrow, uh, into what's happening inside the church. And, and I, I believe 100% that is also a prediction that's coming true. Um, but let's look at inspiration. I'd like to have two volunteers. Okay, very good. Thank you. So please come up here and bring your pens with you. So, you're going to be prophets. I, don't have <laughs> I hope you've had some visions lately. Now, um, what I want you to do is I'm going to show you something in here. I have a lot of small little gadgets. And uh, you're going to look at this for uh, 30 seconds. And after that, I'm going to take it away. And then you're going to write down 
everything that you remember. And try to get details like, okay, color, uh, size, and uh, these kinds of things. Okay? Uh, you, no writing before, only afterwards. <laughs> okay? So you ready? Someone have a time? Okay, I have a time here. All right. Now, please write down what you saw. And no peeking at each other. This is a competition. <laughs> okay, well, well, we'll stop there right now. Then we'll see what, how, how you did. Okay, so you, you can look yeah, at it. That's it, um, let's see. Okay, well, what did you write? If, you, if we take, uh, if we start with Bengt. What did you write? I wrote uh, calculator. Is it a calculator? Purple? purple? Yeah, blue, maybe? Maybe, yeah. <laughs> good, very good. Uh, dice. Dice, so in plural. That's right. And, uh, did, did you put? Did you have dice as well? Yes, but I just have uh, one wooden. What I think is is wooden, and this is numbers. So uh -huh. it's separated. You know, one wood cube, and then. Okay. Wow. Well, interesting. <laughs> good. And one uh, key set. One key set. So this USA blinking. Uh, <laughs> yeah, very good. Did you have the USA yeah, blinking yeah. thing? It's like something. USA key holder. USA key holder? Okay. Electronic. Well, nice. I just, I just know the uh -huh. That's good. Good, good. One battery. One battery. Do you have a battery too? I had it in my head. You had it in your head? <laughs> <laughs> so, okay. And two pencils. Two pencils. Uh huh. One, uh, was it one purple, one orange? That's right. Did you have it as well? Yes, one purple and one orange. Okay, you got that. Wonderful. And some small yellow objects toys. <laughs> small yellow object toys, that's right. That's a yellow pirinoles. Pirinoles, whatever they are. <laughs> in Mexico, at least. Okay, very and, good. Uh, a piece of paper. And a piece of paper. Yeah, it's very good. Yeah, that was, I remember. Did anyone um, take the USB stick? You got the USB. Yes. You got two of them. Well, there's, a, there's wire, USB. Oh, USB wire. Charger or something. Oh, this one. Yeah. You're thinking of this yeah. one. Yeah. Oh, okay. Very good. Very good. Did anyone of you have scissors? Yes. Oh, you got one scissors too. So you see? And then there was a little strange thing. That's what I, I was trying to do. You know a bread bag winer. Ah, oh, very good. This, give them an applause, please. <laughs> very good. You've just had a... You won. <laughs> I think you won. Now let, let's test me to see if I'm a true pro. <laughs> yes. Now we need to test you. <laughs> Well, you just had an experience of, of how it is, how it could be to be a prophet. If you think of um, of a prophet, they they see something, and then they are going to try to describe it. They actually use the different uh, words, some of them, uh, on, of, to describe the same thing. Did you notice that? Um, and um, uh, you, you put it, an American key holder, wasn't it, or USA key holder? You said a, a key holder with, uh, yeah, with an American flag blinking. So he had some more details, uh, maybe in some areas. Uh, you had more details in other areas. And what could have happened is that someone said, "Oh, there was a die," right? And one one could have said there was a big die, okay. And another one would say there was a small die. And we might say we might look at that and we could say, "Oh, look, there was a contradiction," right? All these prophets are contradicting themselves. One said there was a big one, one said there was a small one. But who was right? Both. Both of them were right, because there were two. You see? They, com they could have complemented each other. And this is the same if you, if you read, for example, the Gospels. You read Mark. It's very short and to the point. <laughs> Most important things. Maybe like Bengt was doing here. <laughs> uh, and then you have, uh, you have Luke. He's very precise and and it gets a lot of details. And, and sometimes people try to put the, pit these against each other and say that, oh, these, they contradict each other. But actually, it, is, it doesn't need to be. Most of the time, they only complement each other. So that brings us, that illustration brings us into our next topic about inspiration. And um, if, we work, if, if we look at uh, inspiration, it is very important because understanding how God speaks to a prophet is just as important as understanding that he has spoken to the prophet. This is so crucial. 
and to understand how God speaks to a prophet is just as important as understanding that he has spoken to, uh, to the prophet. And some of the greatest misunderstandings of the Bible and the spirit of prophecy comes from misunderstanding of inspiration. Just the, There are three terms when it comes to how God reveals his will to humanity, and that's revelation, inspiration, and illumination. Those three terms, and, and we'll look at them. The first one, revelation, that's from God to the prophet. That's the revelation, and you, you read about it in Revelation 1. It says, the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants things which must shortly take place. And he sent and signified it by his angel to his servant, John. And the same with Daniel. You know, the, an angel comes to this person and starts showing them and telling them things. That's revelation from God to the prophet. Secondly, is the inspiration. And that's what we're going to look at. The inspiration is, um, if, you, if you want a definition of inspiration, put it here, uh, somewhere. Okay, yeah, that's uh, in, in A there. Inspiration is the process by which the Holy Spirit enables the prophet to correctly receive and communicate the Word of God. That's a definition of, of inspiration. And it's from the prophet to the paper. Okay, so, so you, you, if you think of our illustration, first, they could see things. They stood and looked. That was revelation. Then they had to write it down on a piece of paper. And if the Holy Spirit had helped them, they would have written perfectly right uh, things that they saw. Maybe not everything, but some of the things that they saw correctly. Uh, that's inspiration. And then illumination. Oh yeah, by the way, 2 Timothy 3.16 says, All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. The third step is illumination, and that's from the paper or from the verbal communication to the listener's heart. So when we read or when we listen to what a prophet says, the Holy Spirit needs to work on us as well so that we can receive and understand actually what the prophet is telling us. Because even if the prophet knows exactly what he's, what he's talking about, but if we're not open to uh, listening to or understanding what the prophet says, it won't help us. So that's the process. And there are three major theories concerning how inspiration works. It's inspiration we'll look at today. And the first one is verbal inspiration or verbal dictation, which basically says that God dictates the information word by word. That... Uh, Okay, you know, thus, God says, God tells the prophet, thus, and the prophet writes, thus. Says, says God, and the prophet writes, says, the, and the prophet writes, the. And this is very, it's a very, uh, how can I say, strained uh, understanding of inspiration. Here, no synonyms can be used. Uh, if the prophet misses a dot or misses to cross a T, is it's not correct okay and you can't really translate it to any other language because it's the, it's it's directly from god it's spoken through superhuman language to this prophet word by word that's one understanding of inspiration and second one is the plenary or the thought inspiration that means that god reveals the information to the prophet through visions and dreams but the prophet uses his or her own limited modes of expression when he or she communicates the message one could say that what is meant is inspired, not the exact choice of words. Does that make sense? The differences. Uh, I believe that the Bible and the Spirit of Prophecy clearly teaches plenary inspiration or thought inspiration. There's another third inspiration understanding, the existential experience, that revelation is just a personal experience or an, or an encounter, and it's not really a a message. This is kind of a, you know, a little bit um, flummig, you say in Swedish. <laughs> I don't know what the word would be. Uh, anyway, what does the Bible say about inspiration? It says, in, so if someone could read Second Peter 1 and 21. 
you never came by the will of man, but only men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. So you see there, it is still the men that spoke. It is the holy men of God, they spoke, but they were moved, they were guided by the Holy Spirit when they were writing. Uh, not necessarily dictated. If we, were, if we read 1 Corinthians there, <clears throat> chapter 7 and verse 40, Paul says some insightful things here. It's number 4 there. But she is happier if she remains as she is, according to my judgment. And I think I also have the Spirit of God. Interesting, huh? <clears throat> Someone might say, oh, Paul, is he just <clears throat> partially inspired? Was that he, what he was writing? Was it not really inspired? Well, Paul was saying, this is my judgment, and I believe I have the Spirit of God. Like the, the Spirit of God was still speaking through the human agent. He, he, was, he was expressing with his own judgment, with his own, uh, not, not of course his, his own opinions. He wasn't telling his own opinions, but he was speaking, saying something. And uh, still, what he was saying with his own language, it was inspired by the Spirit of God. Uh, it, is, it is quite a mystery somehow how the inspiration works. Uh, because it is, it is, it is kind of like, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll get to it later on here in, in one of the quotes from Ellen White. But I read the following, or let, let's read the next one also, First Corinthians fourteen thirty-two. The spirits of the prophets are subject to prophets. Yeah, the spirits of the prophets are subject to the spirit of, are, are subject to the prophets. Now, there might be several ways of understanding that. Uh, my understanding at the moment is at least that it's, it's speaking about the spirit of prophecy inside uh, the prophets. The spirit doesn't just take over and, and uh, do, does whatever, but it, they are subject to the prophet's own um, mode of expression. Uh, basically, the Holy Spirit gives them the thoughts, but they express it in their, uh, in their own way. I think it will be clear if you read on here. It says, Though God is said to be the originator of the scriptures, it is written by men. The spirit of prophecy does not take away the free will of the prophet during inspiration. When I say the spirit of prophecy, I mean the Holy Spirit. Uh, the Holy Spirit is the spirit that gave the prophetic gift. He is the spirit that gives prophecy. So he, he doesn't come and, and, and just takes away the free will and just... Uh, moves the mouth of the prophet, uh, necessarily. But he, he, um, the Spirit of God chooses the message, but most of the time the prophet chooses the wording. The message from Jesus is subjected to the prophet's limited vocabulary and mode of expression. Still, the words of the prophet is the word of God. One can say, as I said, what is meant is inspired, not necessarily the exact wording. And how do we know that this is so? In, in Revelation we see that uh, God tells John, what you see, write them down, write it down. So he tells John to write it. He, 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 do, he doesn't just take John and, and grab John's hand and goes like, now, this is what you write. But he tells John, you go write it. Write down what you've seen. And of course that is going to be... Uh, limited to his mode of expression. <clears throat> Let's read Great Controversy, these quotes, and I think it will be even more clear. If someone could read that first quote from Great Controversy, page 5 through 7. The Ten Commandments were spoken by God himself and were written by his own hand. They are of divine and not of human composition. But the Bible, with its God-given truth, expressed in the, expressed in the language of men, presents a union of the divine and the human. Such a union exists in the nature of Christ, who was the Son of God and the Son of Man. Thus it is true of the Bible, as it was of Christ, that the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. John 1.14 God has been pleased to communicate this truth to the world by human agencies, and He Himself, by His Holy Spirit, qualified men and enabled them to do this work. He guided the mind in the selection of what to speak and what to write. 
The testimony is conveyed through the imperfect expression of the human language. Yet, it is the testimony of God. Does that make sense? You have just like with, um, with Christ, he was fully human, and he was still f uh, fully divine. And in the, in the same way, it is so with the Bible. It is fully of, of, of God, of divine origin, but still it is fully human. And uh, it is, it is uh, imperfect expressions of human language. Still it is the testimony of God. That's why we need to understand it correctly. We need to understand what, what, what the Spirit of God was meaning. And so we have to, that's, that's why we sometimes have to read the context. We have to read the, uh, understand the background and how people thought then, because that's what, how the prophet was thinking when he was writing these things. First Selected Messages, page 21. The Bible is written by inspired men, but it is not God's mode of thought and expression. It is that of humanity. God, as a writer, is not represented. Men will often say such an expression is not like God, but God has not put himself in words, in logic, in rhetoric, on trial in the Bible. The writers of the Bible were God's penmen, not his pen. It's quite interesting. Look at the different differences of the writer and so on. Uh, it says in the closing uh, sentence, The divine mind and will is combined with the human mind and will. Thus the utterances of the man are the word of God. So, there's a difference. As I said, what's the difference between being God's pen and being God's penman? I think it is very clear the difference between verbal or uh, verbal dictation and thought inspiration. Like, if it was so that, that the prophets were God's pen, yeah, then, then God would take, o take over them and they, he would write exactly what God, word by word, would be from God. But it was not so. God told something to the prophets, and then the prophets were, were, had to express it in, in their own way. Uh, some examples of this. Let's, let's look at some of these examples. We're, let's read Ezekiel. Uh, or, to save time, let's read Daniel 10, uh, 5 and 6. And then someone else can read Revelation 1, 13 through 16. I lifted my eyes, and looked, and behold, a certain man clothed in linen, whose waist was girded with gold of opas. His body was like beryl, his face like the appearance of lightning, his eyes like torches of fire, his arms like feet, like burnished bronze in color, and the sound of his words like the voice of a multitude. Hmm. Thank you. Uh, and someone can read Revelation 1, 13-16. And in the midst of the seven lanterns, one light and some man broke with a arm down to the feet and girded about the chest with a golden band. His head and hair were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes like a flame of fire. His feet were like fine brass, as if refined in a furnace, and his voice as the sound of many waters. He had, he had in his right hand seven stars. Out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword, and his countenance was like the sun shining in the hmm. So, with, do, you, do these passages sound familiar to you when you read them? Like they sound like they're describing the same thing. However, they're not using the same words of expression. Uh, in, uh, according to John in Revelation, he says that Jesus' face was like a sun. But according to Daniel, what was it like? Lightning. Okay, we can come and say, well, look, the Bible is contradictory. What, what, how does Jesus', fa Jesus face look? Does it look like lightning or like the sun? Oh, the Bible can't be trusted. Or is it so that... It looks quite similar. If you've seen the lightning and if you've seen the sun, they, they're both light, right? And they're just using uh, different modes of expression here. And um, Daniel said that the feet was like the color burnished, bron burnished bronze, whereas John said they were like fine brass. Oh, so which metal was Jesus' legs 
which then did it look like? Well, we can make a, we can make a doubts out of that and start doubting God if we have a limited view of inspiration. But if we understand that it is thought inspiration, then this is not a contradiction. It is just different ways of expressing the same thing. Well, Ellen White herself did not claim verbal inspiration, which is very clear from those passages which we won't read. Uh, what about secretaries and assistants? I think we're, we're about we need to close here soon. But it's very important that since it is the thought that is inspired and not the exact wording, it is in its full right for a prophet to use secretaries or assistants. Does that make sense? Like if you let's read Jeremiah thirty six and verse four. Someone can read that. Then Jeremiah called Baruch, son of Maria, and Baruch wrote on a scroll of a book, at the instruction of Jeremiah, all the words the Lord which he has spoken to him. Okay. So, interesting. It wasn't Jeremiah who wrote the book of Jeremiah. Did you know that? It was Baruch. Oh, so Jeremiah is a false prophet, right? Uh, let's read uh, the next passage here. 1 Peter 5 and, and 12. Who wrote the letter of Peter? I hope I'm not going to shake your faith here in the Bible. <laughs> okay, someone can read that. Tyron, would you like to read? Yeah. By Silvanus, our faithful brother, as I consider him, I have written to you briefly, exhorting and testifying that this is the true grace of God in which you stand. Okay, so this is actually by Silvanus. Silvanus wrote the letter of Peter. Uh, Romans, who wrote Romans? Well, it's Tertius. I don't know how to, how to say that in English. Who wrote this epistle, greet you in the Lord. Oh, wow. Interesting, that verse must not be inspired, right? Uh, well, the whole book of, of Romans was actually written, or the epistle of Romans was written by Tertius, under the guidance of Paul, of course. And the same with, uh, with Thessalonians. Uh, he, or in Thessalonians, he writes actually something with his own hand. So that's the difference. But the fact that someone else has written Paul's and Peter's epistles, they could make it could make a ready skeptic to doubt if some parts of it were really inspired. In spite, however, of the fact that things were written by another, the prophet always had to approve the text before it was published. So, the prophet has been has received something, and then uh, the scribe writes it down, and he maybe the scribe is better at expressing himself, and then he shows it to the prophet, and he says, okay, so is this what you're trying to say? And the prophet will say, yeah, that's exactly what I saw. This, this is so powerful. You know, that, that there's no contradiction uh, in that. That doesn't mean that, oh, that's not inspired just because it wasn't the handwriting of, of that particular prophet. So, does that make sense? Or any questions? Uh, nah. No, not, uh, not a whole lot. Uh, she... Yes, he, he was saying that uh, it's um, usually it was uh, dictated uh, to the, this, the one writing. And uh, yes, I, I believe so. It is, it is over the Lamite at least. And the, the secretary might have changed the modes of expression and, and like, oh, it sounds much better grammatically if you say it this way, you know. Uh, however, it's her message. She, she is the one that, that wrote it and that, uh, yeah, it was, it was basically, some of it was edited by an assistant but she always looked through it and said, yes, this is, this is what God showed me. Uh, so it says in Select the Messages 3, page 91, her, uh, she, her secretary, Marianne Davis, takes my articles, which are published in the paper, and pastes them in blank books. She also has a copy of all the letters I write. In preparing a chapter for a book, Marianne remembers that I have written something on that special point, which may make the matter more forcible. She begins to search for this, and if she finds it, she sees that it will make the chapter more clear. She adds it. The books are not Marian's production, but my own, gathered from all my writings. Marian has a large field from which to draw, and her ability to arrange the matter is of great value to me. It saves my poring over the mass of matter, which I have no time to do.
So if we correctly understand what the Bible says about inspiration, there's no danger to our faith in this fact that there was a secretary. Yes. I mean, especially the, well, when you think how it starts, it starts, uh, Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, uh, apostle of God, uh, and then he writes to the Romans. I mean, I think the letter makes it very clear that Paul is speaking here. Mm. All what's written in the letter mm -hmm. is, is actually Paul's experience. Exactly. No one else could have that experience. Mm -hmm. And um, because I was still thinking what you said about Romans, you know. Yeah. Um, I think, and it's the same with Ellen White. They, they always authorized the writings and they, they mm. would not allow someone else write a letter. No, 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 no. No, exactly. Absolutely not. Everything needed to be authorized by the prophet, and the prophet wrote many things, but then it's just the fact that sometimes they had a secretary uh, edit it, and that didn't change it because we, we think we know thought, we think of thought inspiration, because that's what the, the Bible says. And it is the thought, even though the, they used a synonym instead of another, you know, another word there, it's still in, the inspired word of God. Yeah, that's a good point. Uh, plagiarism, well, we won't have time to go into this. Uh, we just got half halfway done here tonight. So I guess we'll have to continue tomorrow. And um, I pray that we'll, we'll be able to get through it. Let's have a word of prayer and then we will close for today. Heavenly Father, thank you for giving us this um, time to study together. Thank you for inspiration and that we can have reasons to believe that you have actually given, uh, sent the prophetic gift to this church. I pray that you, you will be able to strengthen us in the understanding and also in the understanding of, of how to read her writings so that we may be on that road which you have, uh, have called us to be on. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.